Hey, what's up guys, Travis here. And if you've been following me or my story for any length of time, you know that I started a company called Guestio about a year and a half ago now. And one of the things that we are doing this year in 2022 is we're building a concierge program called the Fast Pass that allows you to get booked on top quality shows and platforms for the purpose of spreading awareness for your brand, grabbing attention, uh, growing your credibility, your authority, et cetera, et cetera. And so if you are listening to this right now and you are a seven figure plus entrepreneur and you have a budget to bring in traffic, attention, credibility, authority to your brand, then this might be a really great program for you. Just head over to travischapel.com slash 10K. Why 10K? Because we guarantee in this program that you're going to be able to speak in front of 10,000 people within 90 days. Okay, 10,000 people within 90 days. Imagine getting on a stage in front of 10,000 people to share your message, your story. That's exactly what we are doing inside of this program through virtual stages like podcasts or virtual events or YouTube channels or blogs. You name it, we are working with it, and we are trying to get you booked on those platforms. So travischapel.com slash 10x. There's a quick application there, and then right at the end of that application, it'll prompt you to set up a phone call where you'll jump on a call with me, and we'll talk through whether or not you're a great fit for this program. Please act fast on this. Do not wait because we are only taking on one or two clients a week due to uh, constraints with our team and the limited supply of high quality shows and platforms that are out there in the market. So if that's you and you're really wanting to explode your brand in 2022, head over to travischapel.com slash 10K, fill out the application, schedule a quick phone call, and you and I will chat really soon about whether or not this would be a great fit for you. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. Hey, this is David Primer, founder and chief sales scientist at Cerebral Selling and author of the best-selling book, Sell the Way You Buy. And if you want to learn how to build better relationships, you should be listening to the Build Your Network podcast with my good friend, Travis Chappell. Welcome to the show. I'm Travis Chappell, and I chat with some of the world's top business influencers, thought leaders, and entrepreneurs in order to crack the code of networking. I believe that who you know is more important than what you know, and that your relationships ultimately determine the person that you become. So if you want to learn the new way of connecting, if you want to fill your network with quality people and skyrocket your results, then you're in the right place because this is the Build Your Network podcast. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Build Your Network. Today, I'm sitting down with David Primer. David is a recognized thought leader in sales and sales leadership and has been published in the Harvard Business Review, MIT Sloan Management Review, as well as Forbes Entrepreneur and Inc. magazines. David began his journey as an award-winning research scientist before leading top-performing sales teams at high-growth technology companies, earning him the title of sales professor. Today, David helps organizations drive business growth by infusing the principles of science, empathy, and execution into their sales operations. And he's also the author of the best-selling book, Sell the Way You Buy. Guys, this is going to be an amazing conversation. You know um, my past door-to-door sales, and I have a big soft spot for the sales industry. So I'm excited to get into this conversation with David. But first, really quickly, if you are a six- or seven-figure entrepreneur, and you know how beneficial a podcast would be for your business, but you just don't have the time or the team or resources to to dedicate to figure it all out, then have me and my team build that for you. Head over to travischapel.com slash makemypodcast. Just a quick application there. And then after the application, we'll jump on a quick phone call to see if we'd be a good fit to work with you to get your show out into the world. David, thanks so much for coming to the show today, man. Hey, my pleasure, Travis. Great to be with you. 
Yes, sir. Let's go ahead and and, uh, build some context here for those listening that may not know who you are. Um, And when I do that, uh, I I like to go way back here. So let's take it way back. Let's (laughs) let's talk like 12, 13-year-old David, junior high David. What were you up to at that point? You know, family life, sports, school, academics, all that good stuff. Oh my gosh. Well, I was actually, was a hockey player growing up, uh, being a good Canadian boy from Toronto. So played hockey since, <laughs> nice. since the age I was five until, you know, I'm, I'm almost 45 now. I stopped playing, I think when I was 42 or 43, just cause life just got too busy with all the kids and their activities. But yeah, I was a, I was a hockey player going to school. Um, always was interested in kind of math and science, that kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, that's, that's, that was me. Nice, man. So where, you know, in this journey, did you start getting the, the itch to start, you know, heading down the path that you're on right now? Oh, not till later. You know, it's funny. The thing is, when you think about people who end up in sales, no mm-hmm. one grows up and says, hey, you know what I want to be when I grow up? Like my, my kids yeah, now, right. like, I want to be a veterinarian or an astronaut or, right. you know, a teacher, fashion designer. Yeah. And, uh, and it's funny that my father always would tell me, he would say, you know, the job that you're going to do when you grow up hasn't been invented yet. And so I always actually tell that to my kids now, but especially in sales, because we don't teach it in school. I mean, at the, especially at the college university level, right. um, you know, it's not something people can think they can get into. So I actually started my career as a research scientist and got into sales at the turn of the dot-com boom. So I was doing, I was building computer models, doing coding um, in the chemical engineering field of all things. And around 1999, 2000, when people were just, you know, going bonkers with, you know, tech companies and so on, I ended up joining uh, a small startup as a sales engineer. And that's kind of where I got on the road to, uh, to kind of modern selling where I am today. Yeah, that's definitely not the typical path of a salesman. That's for <laughs> that's for damn sure. <laughs> I feel like I feel like the majority of people that get into sales are people who who couldn't make six figures in anything else because like they didn't go to college or they didn't graduate, they didn't get a degree or their dropouts or something like that. Just, just with my experience, and that's kind of personally my story as well, um, that, that's typically how it goes. You don't, you don't find a lot of uh, you know, research scientists that, <laughs> that, that uh, get into the sales game. You know, that, I feel like a lot of people, I feel like a lot of your past colleagues would look down on the profession of selling. Would that, would that be oh. true? Is that a fair assumption? Absolutely. It does not make you popular at the family yeah. reunion. We're like, what's David doing? He's in sales. We're like, oh, that's not, it's not like saying emergency <laughs> room doctor. It's not yeah, the same, right. but you're right. You know, the, the path of, you know, research scientists to, to sales is not a common one, but yeah. you know, people, you know, it's funny because I talk a little bit about it in my book and I've talked about it on podcasts before and people, you know, people say, did your parents ever give you a hard time? Like David, like you went to school for all these years and like, and now you're going to do sales. I'm like, no, first of all, they, they never did that. But, you know, as I, as I try to kind of synthesize this for my kids now, too, because it's funny, you know, telling your kids that you're in sales, like, that's hard for them to understand. Like, astronaut, doctor, accountant, right. they get that, right. you know, but what is selling? Because you have to explain, like, what selling is and, like, what are you, you know, especially software is, you know, my kids are bigger now, but little kids, they don't get that. Right. So, it's, um, you know, it's a really interesting journey, but there's so much similarity I actually found between kind of, you know, research science, if I can call it, and selling because they're both really hard. They're both really complex. They're both subject to so many different variables and inputs. And I was always just really curious, like how, why do people, you know, hate salespeople and why do they love to buy things? And when I said it like this, they got it. When I said it like that, it, it was really confusing. So, sure. you know, that's the way I think about sales. Yeah. So, so tell me a little bit about that journey then. When, when, at what point during your, uh, your, you know, your initial career, 
did you start realizing that you kind of wanted to be in this other realm? This other realm meaning in sales or in this other yes, realm of what correct. I'm doing now? Correct. In, in sales. Yeah. From, from research scientists to sales, like what, I just, just curious on what experience or what, what happened in life where you were like, you know what, I think this is going to be the new path. For sure. Well, actually, I still remember there was there was one specific moment that kind of, you know, put me on the path. And, you know, when you're in science, you know, in, in academia, the question is, okay, like, what am I going to be when I grow up? Is this the thing that I want to do forever? And what does this life look like? Yeah. And unfortunately, like in science, like you only have a limited field of view, like no one's coming to, you know, the science schools and universities and colleges and saying, hey, you know, we're recruiting for selling for sales now, like no one does that. <laughs> so right. at, where I was, so I was doing a master's degree at the University of Toronto, and they had a career fair. And it was interesting, they had a whole bunch of like engineering grads come back and talk to, you know, the students about some of the things they did in like management consulting and, and these kinds of things. And I started to think, and so I attended one of these, these kind of, you know, talks and I said, oh my gosh, like this, this is, a th- I, I can actually go into business. This is really interesting. And a lot of the skills were still transferable. Like when you think about what I was doing being a research scientist, you're trying to distill very kind of complex abstract thoughts and, and figures and stats into something that's, you know, manageable and absorbable by, uh, you know, another kind of audience. Um, I love to, you know, kind of present and I was always enthusiastic about the things that I was passionate about. So it kind of lent itself really well, but it was that talk that I said, you know what, I should start looking into this thing. And, um, and then that's kind of how it started getting into technical sales. Like a, a lot of people, when they get into sales, they either start door to door, they work at the mall or they're like a BDR kind of a thing. Right. For me, getting into the technical side of sales was uh, you know, really great fit. How immediate or fast or slow was that transition? Uh, it was super fast because, you know, I, I actually, it's funny, before I uh, graduated, I was scheduled, I actually got hired by IBM, but eight months before I, I was scheduled to graduate. And I'm like, oh, this is great. I got a job lined up at IBM as a sales engineer. And then I got connected to a guy who, so you're talking about networking, right? And connections and through yeah. a totally random, so my girlfriend at the time, who's my wife now of, you know, some, many years, 18 years or so, we, um, she was my girlfriend at the time she had a friend of the family that somehow passed away and we were at the funeral and, and they had another friend of the family. And so my girlfriend's mother, my mother-in-law now started talking to this guy's father and they started talking about, Oh yeah, David's going to work at IBM. He's like, Oh, my son's doing like a startup and maybe they should talk. And so we got connected anyways. He, this, this fellow now is like a lifelong mentor and friend. We worked together at you wow. know three different companies, but that company was 20 people when I joined and we grew it to 700 people in a $100 million business. We IPO'd, wow. we got acquired. So it, to your question, it was really fast because when you're working kind of in the bear pit is what I call it, you know, in the startup trenches, everything is just so much faster. Yeah, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Um, so was there any, did you get any feedback from people when they started realizing how much money you were making with that type of stuff comparatively to the, <laughs> what you initially were doing? Um, like, like, you know, you know the, the crowd that was like, Hey, you're crazy for doing this where they kind of like, okay, now I get it. Yeah. You know what? I mean, look, it's, you know, I'm not, I wasn't giving out copies of my paychecks to people. Um, <laughs> yeah. it's like, look, look at this, look at this, but, but you, you know, you they were spending money on Facebook ads in front of your, no, room. like the Ferrari didn't show up yeah. in the driveway. And these guys. <laughs> yeah. No, but you know what? The, um, the thing is they, they see like the, the journey, you know, they see, Oh, you went to this company and that company. And then you, you know, you grew into the leadership ranks and then you had an IPO and then you, and then you got acquired by Salesforce. That's how I was at, I worked at Salesforce for five years, but I, I worked there because my company, which I helped start was acquired by Salesforce. So 
even though they're, you know, no one's seeing like the paychecks, they see the, the kind of the tr- career trajectory and the responsibility and, yeah, and the right. growth. And um, yeah, no, I mean, no one, I'm blessed to have a really supportive network where no one ever questioned like, what are you going to do with that? You know, never yeah. got any pressure from my parents, but, uh, but yeah, it's been, been a great journey. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is uh, the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Well, cool. So, okay. So that obviously went super well, your first venture out into that world. So then, uh, so talk to me about the transition now into doing what you're, what, what, what you do now. Yeah, well, here's the thing, you know, sometimes when you think about plotting the trajectory of your career, someone says to me like, oh, David, I love your career. Like, could I do, you know, tell me what to do to do what you did. And I'm like, I can't tell you that. Like I, it's just the sum of all the decisions. Some were good, some were bad. Some, yeah. you know, took you on a little bit of a detour. So careers are hard to architect. But the thing that I can tell you now in hindsight, kind of 20 years later and, and kind of doing what I do now, which is the most, and I've, I've had an, I've loved all of the jobs I've had in my career. I love working with awesome people, but this is the happiest I've been because I, I feel like I'm doing what I was meant to do. Yeah. But the question is like, how do you know that? And one of the, the kind of the way I know was about back when I was at Salesforce, one of the things that they let me do is I just started to write. They said, hey, you know, we love when entrepreneurs come in from the outside as we grow the company. You know, when I joined, there were 6,000 employees. When I left, there was 24,000 employees. And that, that was, oh you know, my goodness. three, four years ago. Now there's like 50,000. So they love bringing people in from the outside. And they said, hey, look, if you want to write, because I had all these ideas being a former customer, how I might be able to help the business even in my, in my roles there. So yeah. I said, you know, it's great. I'd love to start doing some writing. And, and so they let me do that. And I did some more speaking engagements. And, and I just kept writing and writing and writing. And, and I did this off to the side, like while I had a regular job, you know, with a quota and, and a big team and the whole thing. And over the course of time, I just continued to do that. And when I left Salesforce to be a VP at my fourth startup, 
I kept writing and I kept doing events like for Salesforce. And I, I was like, I love Salesforce, but I, I love this, this idea of like sharing learning is the number one thing I love to do, especially from my, my research science roots. And, yeah, um, right. you know, many years later, this is what I get to do. I realized that that was the trend and pattern in my whole career, no matter what jobs I had, it was always centered around learning and synthesizing and, and, and teaching for other people. And so I just, over the course of time said, you know what, why is this not my job? And, uh, and I made it my job now. So top two or three lessons that you've learned about pivoting, because uh, this is a conversation that I've had with a lot of people recently where, you know, some people, uh, the, the timing of a good pivot, I think is something to talk about because some people I think give up on things too early, but some people I think hang on to something that they should have let go of a long time ago. And it seems like you've done a pretty good job throughout your career of being willing to take a pivot, regardless of how massive or, you know, uh, different that, that new direction would be in your life. And it seems to have worked out pretty well for you. So do you have any advice for anybody out there that might be considering something like that right now for their career? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I have a couple pieces of advice. You know, number one, there's never a perfect time. So don't convince yourself that, oh, you know, I'm going to do this when, you know, yes. there's never going <laughs> to yeah, be, yeah. you know, an ideal time. The other thing is that, you know, the cost of failure, and look, I'm not here to kind of say what your, you know, particular situation is, the people who are listening here, but the cost of failure is often much less than what you think it is, mm. right? So, you know, people are, it's, it's so funny coming from the startup world, and now into Salesforce, all the people at Salesforce would, would say, you know, because I was a big fan of like, you should join a startup. And people would say like, oh, I've never joined a startup. It's like, it's too risky, so much risk. And then I would talk to my, my startup friends and I should say, I would say, you know, Salesforce is awesome. You should come work here. And they would say, ah, I don't want to work at Salesforce. Too, it's too corporate, too, like too big company. <laughs> yeah. And I felt like these were like my two best friends that they didn't want to meet each other. And, and right. both was, was overestimating like the, like the, 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 the risk. Yeah. I'm like, okay, great. So you join us. Let's say you're, you know, you're a big company person. You want to join a startup. What's the worst that happens? Like the company's going to go out of business. And like, do you think that's going to happen? Like the day after you join by complete surprise? <laughs> like, do you think <laughs> right. there's things that you could ask to figure out? Like, is the company in a good position? So once you start picking it apart, you realize like the cost of failure, especially when you, if you're in sales and you're very good at sales, you'll, you, there's a million jobs in right. sales, great yep. jobs. So the cost of failure is low. So I would say, don't wait for the perfect time and really scrutinize what that real cost of failure is, or is your vision being clouded by fear that is unrealistic? I love that you brought up that. Both points are amazing and, and we could talk about both of them for a long time. But that second point in particular is something that I'm, I'm really, really big on because that's kind of how I feel about most things is that people just in they, they they magnify what the risk is in their mind and create this this scenario where they're you know all of a sudden living in poverty and they're homeless wandering the beaches of San Diego wondering what they're going to do for their next meal like that's typically not going to be the worst case scenario <laughs> like right. it's just not <laughs> you, like worst case scenario you take a risk to potentially like if especially in the startup scene like those potential rewards are huge they're astronomical they're it's not it's not like you know it's just like a increase in my salary or something like that it's if we have a successful exit and I've earned equity in this company, I could make a fat chunk of change in a few years versus, you know, being at this other corporate thing. But you just, you, 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 you take that and you, you add in the fear of failure and then you take the fear of embarrassment, which I think is one of the most uh, just ridiculous fears that exists, but it's so <laughs> real in so many people because they everybody feels that they have to keep up this, you know, level of 
of I'm successful with everybody in their lives instead of just worrying about themselves and their own journey and what they're learning and what they want to get out of life, you know? And, and so they just kind of, they, they just kind of make these decisions because they're afraid that everybody else in their life is going to assume that they're a certain way or that they're a certain type of person or think that they're a failure because this new company that they joined didn't work. And it's like, that's a pretty good worst case scenario. <laughs> like it's a pretty solid worst case scenario, you know? For sure. And you, you know what the thing is like mastery in any field. Like if you're great in sales, you're great in, you know, you're swimming or you're a black belt in karate, whatever it is, when you do things that other people don't do because it's too hard or too much effort, like that's where the magic happens, right? Like right. doing things that other people are too afraid to do or don't have like the, you know, have, have the conviction to do, like that's where the magic lies. So, mm-hmm. you know, there, I always say there's a reason why we don't pay high school students minimum wage to be awesome sales reps, right? Because it's so hard. Like you don't earn a bunch of money, just, you know, it's falling into your lap. You actually have to be good at it and right. being good at sales is like being good at like being a neurosurgeon. It's hard, right? Not a, there's not a lot of amazing salespeople. So um, I think it's just as worthy an endeavor to be good at, at selling um, as anything else. And, and the rewards are commensurate with that. So let's talk about sales for a second. Tell, tell me what those few things are. What, what are the things that you think makes a great salesperson or separates you know, the best from the mediocre? So I, I have kind of two schools of thought. And the first school of thought is uh, around the concept of what I call a superpower. So if I were to line up, I actually, you know, I don't necessarily subscribe to like the, all the best salespeople do this, right? The fact is that like any other person in any profession, if you can be good in that profession by leveraging the thing that you are especially great at. So for example, when I would interview sales reps, I would say like, so for example, Travis, what's your superpower? Like, what's the thing that you're just better at than everyone else? The thing that, you know, six months, a year down the road, when you're at the top of the leaderboard, we're going to say, of course, Travis is here. He told us this is, was his superpower. And it could be lots of things. You could be a great negotiator, a great product person. You could have a best friend persona. Like there's all sorts of things, you know, like one, I asked this in an interview once and someone said, you know, I have a very naggy mother so I can really just survive <laughs> at anything, which I, I still remember to this day. But like, you know, so I think everyone can be successful for all different reasons. And I'm not successful in my job because I'm a natural born salesperson. It's because I treated sales like a pursuit that I, I learned and I researched and, and that's my superpower. So if other people can leverage their superpower, I think that that's key. But I think, you know, just based on my practice here in, in the world of modern selling, I keep coming back to this mantra, which is actually the title of my book, which is great sellers sell the way they buy. And what I mean by that is kind of twofold. Number one, they bring a strong empathetic component to their sales practice, meaning they don't use tactics that wouldn't work on them if they found themselves on the buying side, right? Right. Like just because you're in sales doesn't mean you get to behave different. But the other part of sell the way you buy is like really understanding the pathways and mechanisms by which people make purchasing decisions and then using those in your sales motion. And it sounds so simple, But as buyers, we are often unconscious of the forces that cause us to make any sort of decision, right? So really being attuned to that and studying that is what can make you a great salesperson. Yeah. Do you think that sales is something that literally anybody can learn or at least become competent and decent at? Or do you think that it is something that's a natural gift that's to be expounded upon? The former. Yeah. And anyone can learn it. 
Um, it's just like anything else. Like, can anyone learn how to do the splits? And can anyone learn how to, you know, do karate? And can anyone learn how to forecast the weather? Like you could, right? Yeah. You just have to put the time and attention and understand the pathways. And, and not everyone has the, has the, um, you know, the fortitude to do it. Now, when you describe someone who's like a natural born salesperson, it mm-hmm. just means that they might have some of these innate characteristics kind of sure. built in. They don't have to think about, but yeah, you can teach it to anyone. Yeah. And, and what do you think would be the top things that somebody new to sales, like somebody's listening to this and they're like, you know, they're just getting into the, uh, the sales career. They've never been in sales before, but they think that they can, but they think that they're, you know, uh, they, they have the fortitude to at least withstand for a certain period of time to develop that skill set more. What are the top you know, one or two activities that they should be doing. You know, the thing that I find oftentimes will separate- And real quick, and real quick sorry to, to, to add an extra caveat in here and maybe talk about a couple of those top things that they should be doing that most sales organizations don't teach. For sure. Well, I, I mean, it's funny. Like the first thing that I would say, just in general, you want to be good at something, you got to read. Like that, it's mm-hmm. so simple, like read. Whether you're doing audiobooks or blogs or books, like I'm a big fan of, you know, actual physical books myself, but mm-hmm. there's so much knowledge that's out there. And unfortunately, and statistically speaking, most people don't read. You know, most people read like half a book a year, maybe if that. And, um, and the best sellers, just, you know, the best people in any profession are the ones that are constantly enriching themselves. So read. And in fact, you know, one of the things that I used to do when I was a VP of sales is that I would buy copies of my favorite books. And I would you'd go to Amazon, here's 10 copies of this, 10 copies of that. I would put them on my desk and I would just say, hey, you know what? These are my favorite books. Come take them. And, and I had amazing uptick. You know, when you make it as easy as walking over to someone's desk to get a book, yeah. it was a minimal investment for me, but, uh, but huge for the, for the team. And they still come back to me this day. They, they talk to me about the books and, and uh, the things they learn. So reading is like just one of the simplest things you can do. Yeah. Yes. So it's so underrated, right? Because everybody wants the, everybody wants the, uh, the, the magic pill. Everybody wants the silver bullet, the thing that, that is going to make them really good in, you know, by tomorrow and it just doesn't exist. So um, I appreciate you bringing up something like that, that you just wouldn't think about very often, but it's so often the answer that we need to hear. So, um, I want to ask you this question, David, because this is the, it's the question that I ask everybody on the show. And you've already alluded to the relationships in your life and how important they've been um, uh, for you in, in terms of your success and, and the different opportunities that have come uh, you know, across your plate. Um, so I'm curious to hear what your answer would be. Do you believe that who you know or what you know is more important and why? And, and yes, you have to choose one. <laughs> I, oh, I felt, man, I I felt the w- both answer come in. <laughs> I can't wiggle out. I can't wiggle out. I wasn't going to say both. Um, okay. You know, <laughs> so if I had to choose one, you know, I, I would probably know because now you're boxing me in. I would say the first one, like it's, it's, it's what you know. Okay. But, the, but the second part of that is that what do people know you for knowing about? So it's, it's great if people know you, like I agree, it's important to be known, but if you're not known for anything, what is the thing that people know you for? That's the most important thing. So I believe it's, it's what you know, as long as people know that you know about that thing. Yeah, right, right, right. So it has to be known that you know, you can't just know and have nobody know. <laughs> yeah, well, it's That's like kind so of confusing, is, but yes, I get. What it. is Travis Chapel known for? Right? right, like he's the go-to guy for X, and if I don't know what that is, then I ain't calling Travis. Right, right. So right. you have to be known for no knowing matter how good something. friends we are. Yeah, that's right. right. Exactly. You could have a massive network, but if you're not the go-to person for anything, 
mm-hmm. that people know of, then you know it's not it's not exceptionally helpful. You're just a we just have a you're a nice person. We have a nice relationship. That's it. Yeah, that's why I love that question, man. Because that, that that's that's a really unique answer. One that I, I don't think I've ever gotten that on the show, and I've asked well, like over three hundred people that question. So, uh, but I really appreciate the appreciate that perspective and can totally understand where you're coming from on that, David. I wish we could just keep talking and talking, uh, but we got to uh, wrap up here. Uh, you, you you I know you have a book, Sell the Way You Buy. We kind of touched on it a little bit. Uh, talk to me about one or two more overarching principles from that book, and then where people can go pick it up. Yeah, I mean, so sell the way by, you know, it kind of does two things. It kind of goes into in very, you know, great detail, how people actually buy things. Like I said, the pathways and mechanisms by which we make purchasing decisions, feelings, there's a ton of examples and stories in the book, not just from selling, but like everyday life, because I do believe that sales is something that happens in everyday life, whether you're a personal trainer, hairdresser, B2B sales professional, a parent, my goodness, as a parent, I've learned so much about sales. <laughs> yeah. So 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 there's a lot of background into that and the second part of the book is all tactical. So it, it, if you want to know like how do you describe what you do, how you do good sales discovery, how to handle objections, there's like a lot of step-by-step guides and tactics for implementing those kind of, you know, sell the way by empathetic scientific driven approaches to make sure that you are, you know, executing um, actually in your sales motion. So that's that's kind of the two parts of the book. Love it. Love it. And is that just anywhere books are sold or you, would you rather them go to a specific place to pick it up? Well, you don't sell books by making it hard for people to find them. So, <laughs> so, so yeah, I know you can, anywhere books are sold. Uh, I mean, Amazon, uh, you can get off Amazon. There's right now there's an ebook version, there's a print version, there's an uh, audiobook coming soon, but uh, yeah, Amazon, Barnes Perfect. and Noble, Indigo, if you're in Canada, um, check it out. It's called Sell the Way You Buy. And then there's more information about the book on my website, which by the way, I give away a ton of stuff for free. You don't have to register for anything on my website, um, which is cerebralselling.com. And uh, I have a YouTube channel by the same name as well. So you can head over to Amazon to look up Sell the Way You Buy or cerebralselling.com for all that information as well. Amazing. So head over to Amazon, pick up a copy of Sell the Way You Buy. Remember here on the show, whenever we mention a book, go grab it right now. Don't grab it later. Grab it right now so that you don't forget. Add it to your reading list. And uh, guys, I've, I've read a lot of different topics and a lot of different um, uh, authors when it comes to sales. And this is one that I'm looking forward to reading just because of David's super unique background and mixture with with uh, with being a, a scientist and then coming into the sales world. Um, I, I just find that such a unique perspective. And so um, I'm looking forward to getting into it myself. And I know that all of you guys will enjoy that. Make sure to go pick up a copy of Sell the Way You Buy. David, thanks so much for coming on the show today, my man. Seriously, I had a fantastic time chatting with you. Same here, Travis. Thanks so much for inviting me. Well, that's it for today's show. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you want more advanced networking strategies, as well as an instant network upgrade, then consider partnering with my BYN Inner Circle Mastermind. There are already dozens of high quality entrepreneurs in the group, dozens of video lessons on networking, monthly calls, there's accountability crews, and more all for the low investment of just $99 a month. So head over to BYNInnerCircle.com to jump in. That's BYNInnerCircle.com. Thanks so much for joining us on today's show. See you next time. And remember to leave every relationship better than you found it.